0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of Tree's Friendship Corner. doo 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 do. I, I made up that, that theme song for, my, for myself.
1: <laughs> I love it. It's perfect. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Okay, so this week I have a very, very, very special guest. I have my best friend Hayden on today, and I actually got a couple requests to... Talk to someone who isn't in science. If you listen to our um, To Jazz and I's relationship episode, you might have gotten a little sneak peek of who Hayden is. But Hayden is my best, 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 bestest friend. We have been best friends for like, I don't know, almost 20 years now, which is like wild to me. But And I brought him on today because he's doing some pretty interesting stuff, peripheral to science. Um, But I think he also is doing some really cool stuff with a nonprofit that we will talk about um, a little later in the episode. A brief introduction. Hayden is a Florida State University uh, alumni. He studied communications and marketing right? Or just or just communications?
1: Yep. Uh, I double majored in marketing and communication media studies.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. And Hayden is very much the type of person that like if he says he wants to just try something out, he's gonna do it. And then it's like his new thing for the next like five years. So or the thing that stands out to me is when Pitch Perfect came out, you were like, Oh, that's cool. I want to try that. And then a week later, he was like, so I'm on an acapella group at FSU. And I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So Hayden, tell us a little bit about your undergrad experience. Um, You were like very active in music. Tell us a little bit about like, balancing school and 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 your activities and why you were so involved in school?
1: Yeah, for sure. And first off, I want to say thank you so much for having me on today. Love the podcast. You and Jasmine are killing it, so it's truly an honor to be here today.
0: Oh my god! Um,
1: yeah, and a little bit about myself. So I think you hit it like right on the head. Um, I put my mind to something, and I just can't stop until I do it, and I see it all the way through, and. As everyone probably knows in life, there's no clear end to everything. So I end up doing like a hundred things. It's fine. (laughs) My biggest dream in life is having that one time turner watch that Hermione had in Harry Potter. So I could be in like 10 places at once. So in my undergrad, I originally started out as a biology major, I thought I wanted to go into dentistry, I had um, like a little internship, I did a couple hours a week at the local dentist office. And like while working in high school for the medical academy, we had to get um, volunteer hours. So I was working at the dentist office. And I was like, this is cool, I could do this. So I started as a biology major at FSU and I lasted all of one semester, the summer semester. So it was expe- very, very short. So I, I was a bio major and it just wasn't working out. I took trigonometry and it was the first class I ever didn't pass. I got a D in the class and then with like all the extra cl- credit and like pulling it all together, I ended up getting like a final grade of like a C in the class. And I was like, that's it. My pride t- took too much of a hit. And I was like, I can't do anything that involves like heavy math like this. So then I spoke a lot to the advisors, and eventually I landed on marketing. So I ended up double majoring in marketing and communication media studies. But while I was doing that, I still had a huge passion for music. So I had done band all through middle school and high school. So I did band in college. I was in the marching band. Um, As Triana mentioned, I was in an acapella group. Shout out, Acapella Great time. It's just like Pitch Perfect. So great experience. I was the beatboxer. Check out my new acapella group, Bridges Vocal Group, on YouTube and Instagram um okay
0: good plug good plug (laughs) good plug I'm all
1: I'm here for the plugs co-branding that's what it's all about marketing has taught me everything I know about life so yeah I I did a lot of music I um I joined a music fraternity that's where I met a lot of my really great friends from college and eventually I ended up interning in Washington DC at a really tiny multicultural agency And I thought that was it. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm going to work in New York City in a top tier advertising agency. And like everything I do, I put my entire attention and mind to that. I was like, these are the steps I have to take. This is what I have to do. So I, before I even got back to Tallahassee, Florida, I reached out to WFSU, who is a local PBS and NPR affiliate. And I was like, hi, I'm just finishing up an internship in Washington, D.C., um, working on these brands, doing um, this type of advertising. I would love to come and like see what I could possibly do for you guys. And they hired me without even seeing me. They're like, okay, we've got a job. Like, when can you start? I was like, oh, what do you want me to do? Oh, my God. So, so, that was, so I had a part-time job on top of all the music and all the other things I was doing. And it was a great experience. And I learned a lot from that job. And what I would do is I was helping them program TV shows, set up social media campaigns for a lot of the PBS programs. And then from there, I was like, okay, I could do this on a big scale. So then I just started going crazy on LinkedIn, reaching out to companies, working with the FSU ad club to just kind of see connections out there. And eventually, I got a handful of interviews in New York and then came up to New York, landed the job and moved up here short, like a week after graduating.
0: I know, I remember that. I was like, Hayden, hey, <laughs> what? And he was like, bye.
1: Devastating. I know.
0: <laughs> I was like, all right, okay.
1: It's funny. When I interviewed in New York, they're like, oh, like, when can you start? I was like, whenever you need me, I'm from New York. I can be here whenever you need. Boldface lie. It was like my first time in New York that I was there. And I was like, I can start. Next I didn't week.
0: know you lied to them. Yeah,
1: well, because I didn't want it to be a factor. It's like, oh, he has to move. Like, we're not going to hire him because of that. Like, we love him, but he's too far. So I was like, don't worry about it. I'll be here. And then it was like, oh, wow, they, were, they took that to heart. And they're like, can you start in like two weeks? And I was like, yeah, I have to graduate first, but I'll start the week after.
0: Dang. I didn't. Oh, my God. Maybe I did. But it's been so long. It's been so long. That I completely forgot that you were doing the radio station stuff. I do remember your internship in Washington, D.C. because I think that was the summer that we both turned 21. Yeah. Yeah. Because your birthday is only like two weeks before mine. Yeah, i so, two
1: weeks You're elder. I'm so old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, that's like crazy to think about. And like, I think that's so cool because I, I feel like the reason that you and I click so well is because we're not afraid to try new things, get a little bit out of our comfort zone, but then kind of it actually turns into something that's pretty like a big deal to us. You know, so music's always been a big part of your life and you you did music and taught like, oh my God. Talking to people and just, like, being a people person, like, you are 100% that. So, like, I can't even think of a better a better career for you. So, oh, yeah. Remember
1: the old like, Navy days? That really taught me to be a people person fast. Uh,
0: oh, my God. And it also taught you Spanish. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. So, for people who don't know, in high school, Hayden had a part-time job at the old Navy that opened down the street from his house and, like, you know, two streets away from my house. It was just, it was, like, the largest old Navy in the region or something like that and it had a huge number of Hispanic people coming and like from that specific store and I remember you were taking AP Spanish Mm -hmm. and you would and you were like practicing your Spanish while you were working at at old navy that's so funny oh my god yeah
1: I cannot believe how often I was using it and I was like I was getting pretty good at the at some point while in there
0: you were so good I was like I was very impressed honestly I thought you should have put fluent in Spanish on your resume for a while Oh,
1: I should have I still have it there it's like proficient in Spanish like I can definitely google something in Spanish
0: oh my god <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so you're in New York, you're doing all these really cool, crazy things. And then COVID happened. What I find so, so funny is like just how the universe works. You moved back to Boca a week before Taylor and I moved back from Mexico. Because I remember we were texting and you were like, oh, I'm already here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, we'll be there next week. <laughs> and then you have been there. So like, that's like a crazy uprooting of your life so like how did you balance that or how did you approach you know this like super crazy time of uncertainty going from the bustle of New York City to sleepy town <laughs> Boca?
1: <laughs> it's so true it was literally insane I work at a huge company and it's like, they've never done remote. And then they were like, okay, like things are happening. Like everyone maybe go remote. And it was just such a change of pace, even like starting to be remote in New York. Cause for two months before that, I was book solid every single day. I had something on the calendar. I was going out to dinners. I was going out, I played softball for the company. I was on the team there. I was in the acapella group. So I was literally going somewhere all the time that I didn't do laundry for two months. I just started buying more oh clothes God. rather than do laundry because I no, I, you did. didn't. I have so much clothes that I don't even wear because <laughs> I just needed new clothing. I had no time for laundry.
0: So God. it was
1: insane. So it was such a crazy change of pace. And I was just sitting here in my bedroom in New York on a Friday in the afternoon. I was like, should I come home to Boca? Should I just pop in and see what's up? Like, why not? I'm working remotely maybe for like the next two weeks. I'll just go home. <laughs> <laughs> so I packed a small bag. I Bought enough socks, underwear, and contacts for two weeks, and a year later, I finally made my return to New York.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. I mean, do you have an idea when you're going to be moving back permanently?
1: No idea. I think once vaccines are pretty much out there, like majority people have been vaccinated, is when I'll make my grand return to New York. However, I'm going to kind of just be digital nomading for a little bit. I'll be a little bit of Boca. Actually, no, majority Boca, a little bit of New York in between there. And then just anything else that comes in between that. Gotta say, it's pretty nice working from home in Boca. Got plenty of space. I bought a Jeep, uh, a little midlife crisis buy right there, <laughs> quarter life crisis. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty nice.
0: Yeah, that's that's good. And, and okay, so now that you've been in Boca, and I remember, you know, especially in these times where we've all just kind of been kept, like, kept to ourselves and been very like, oh my God, my life has been turned upside down. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And like, so... You mentioning a crisis is not uncommon because I've heard it in a million other podcasts. And just, I feel like people are just going through a crisis every day. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to bring up maybe a crisis that you and I talked about where you were like, I'm just selling crackers to people. I don't feel like I'm doing anything meaningful. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, because I was like, oh, no, (laughs) Hayden has become (laughs) self-aware.
1: He's getting sentient. Yeah. Game...
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was like, that 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 can't be the way he sees it. A week later, or no, not even a week later. When we were talking on the phone, you were like, "So I have this really cool thing that I'm involved with, and their headquarters is in Boca, right?"
1: Yeah. Surprisingly, like small world. <laughs>
0: yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong. You work for a nonprofit that basically connects researchers, foreign researchers, like immigrant researchers that now work in the United States or other countries and connects them to their native country so that they can talk about their research into their community. So like if I were a Mexican immigrant and I moved to America and I did this really cool shark research, I could reach out to this place and they would say, hey, we'll help you talk about your research back in Mexico, correct?
1: Yep, exactly. And then there's the added benefit of if you want to go back to Mexico and still have a job with where you're currently working, where you're currently doing research and still have that job or have money to go back to Mexico to then teach about what you're working on or if you have a specific topic that you want to teach about or work in a specific, let's say, like fisheries in Mexico, they can then help you make that um, shift back with grants and publicly funded money.
0: Oh, that part I didn't know. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, so that one, it's it's super interesting because a lot of what they do is there's a very large Indian, like from India, population that comes to the U.S. for education, but they end up staying in the U.S. So that's kind of where I think the original idea came from. These people who've expatriated from their home country now have this like great education that they got from the US. It's very formalized. It's very like, this is the path you follow. And then this is kind of how you can get into research from there. The idea is to bring back all those, all the things that they've learned, all the research, all the steps, all the procedures, all the work that they've been working on back to their home countries to really knowledge, share that and then grow the home country as well.
0: Okay, cool. So like now what's your role in it? What are you doing? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's funny to say like, I had this huge, like existential moment of I'm literally selling crackers on Facebook. Like, what am I doing with my life? When did I start using marketing for evil and not for good? (laughs) And I I had all this like spare time now, because when I'm working from home, I don't have to worry about commuting. My commute is a 30 second walk to the kitchen and then back to my bedroom to open my computer. (laughs) So I have all this spare time and all this extra time that I was looking for an opportunity to use my marketing abilities for good. And I've always had a soft spot for science and soft spot for academia. And I was just looking around for different volunteer opportunities where I could really use my like knowledge of social media and marketing to help other people. And then I came across this uh, International Professors Project is the name of the nonprofit. They are based out of Boca Raton, but essentially work globally. It's across all countries in the world. And what I do for them is I work in the social media department. I train other people on how to interact on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, how to garner engagement for whatever they're working on. So if they have a research paper and they want to get more eyes on it, we can share it in one of our LinkedIn groups that are very applicable to it. So if it's environmental science, we have, I think, over like 100,000 people in our LinkedIn group. So we can share that with 100,000 different people all over the globe, and then people can just weigh in with their thoughts. So I teach people, okay, you can use this group for this, go ahead and tag these people there, researchers or professors that work in that sort of field, and they can definitely weigh in give you thoughts or just kind of like share it out to their own networks. So it's a lot of training and social media coordination.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, when you first told me, I was like, what? That's really cool. And I think that is a resource that in academia, we need better training in. I am always very forthcoming, especially when it comes to specifically my Twitter account. I'm like, this is not a science communication account. That's not what I use this for. But if I were... To start a new account solely based on science communication, that would be like a totally different approach to that account. Because I know there's this crazy stuff that people do research on, where post between this hour and this hour because that's when more people are going to see it, and make sure that you follow these tags or make sure to use these tags, but don't use those, and make sure that if you're following this, you have to make sure you're following. It's it. There's such a science to it, and I think academia or at least in the science community, we just struggle with breaking that barrier of talking about our research, what we're passionate about to people who maybe aren't in formal academia. And it just kind of wedges that divide even further.
1: Exactly. It's so true. And there's there's so much beauty in the algorithm across every single social media. Twitter is such a perfect example because it's very knowledge share and it's actually huge for professionals that work in academia or work in science like, share a lot of their thoughts and research through Twitter. So like understanding what are those hashtags, how do I show up better in someone's algorithm versus just showing up nowhere so like no one sees my post or it's like how many people do I have to tag or who can comment on this that will get more reach and it's really analyzing that. So on the back end what I can see is like all right let's say we posted something from the international professor's handle on Twitter. I could see how much reach it had, how much engagement it got, when it got the most engagement, what countries did it see the most engagement from, and then we can make optimizations based on that. So for example, New Zealand is really big in our environmental science group. We see a lot of engagement come from people out of the New Zealand region, and then they're also sharing a lot of their work. So a lot of times now, um, what I'll do is every single day, I go ahead and post in our LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. So I'll share a lot more of the environmental posts that have a lot more to do with the APAC region. So featuring more closely towards the New Zealand area. So people researching that area can be more up to date with what's going on. So it's using those analytics inside of the social media to really help inform and bring to life the different work that everyone's working on. Because we're one big globe at the end of the day. And the better we can share knowledge, the more we can push forward.
0: I definitely think we kind of take communication as a luxury, because we we don't, at least now as an adult, and like, we grew up with social media and social media, but like the the rise of social media to where we kind of learned along with these platforms, how to communicate and how to reach people in different parts of the world. But I, I think it definitely brings to light how the like the deficiencies that we have when we tried to kind of build across different disciplines. And it's interesting because when I was still living in Mexico, the marine science department at UM had a class that specializes in, or I think they have a degree, I think, in science communication now. And they came what? to Mexico. Yeah, they came to Mexico, did a couple expeditions, did whatever. And then they came to our school and I got to talk to these people. And like, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm a, I don't know, a veterinarian. Like, it's, it's one of those. It's not a research-focused master's degree. It's kind of, it's a degree that they can get to where they take classes and they can learn uh, communication skills and apply that to maybe they want to be a teacher or maybe they want to be, they want to work in media or in, in marketing and stuff like that. So in a science, in a scientific, you know, lens. And I think we, we, we take communication for granted because we want to conserve the integrity of our work. And I think part of that is there's is a there's like a disconnect between scientists and researchers and the general public as far as you know, how do we bridge that divide? And so what do you think? What are some takeaways from your experience in volunteering with this nonprofit that you think could be an effective way for scientists to learn how to communicate their science and how to communicate just with people in general across different disciplines.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's an incredible point. Your research is always going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful, but you need to be able to communicate it to someone. Someone else needs to understand that the research exists or what you're working on is there and that it's out there. They just need to find it. And how do they find that? And that's always kind of how I like to approach these things. It's think of it from the consumer standpoint. If I'm working on something for shark science, how am I going to get other people to read this? Like, I'm definitely interested in shark science, so I would read it. But your average consumer, how can I get them to read this paper? And an example of how we're doing this is I'm working with this one PhD in uh, behavioral science, and we're going to do an interview series with her. So for an hour, we're going to sit down and talk to her. We're going to give her different questions that we want her to answer about her research, kind of about her background. And what we're going to do from there is we're going to make it social media friendly. So we'll do audio snippets. We'll do small graphics of just kind of like key quotes, maybe five or six words that were like, wow, that was very stunning. Like that took away a lot. And then we'll link to the longer research, link to the longer video. And then we'll have all these different uh, creative assets that we can use across social media. So on Twitter, we'll make sure that a six second video of kind of what she's talking about that really brings someone in drives that curiosity. And then we'll make them be more curious to really learn about what her research is about. And then if we see that's doing well, maybe we'll do a text post about that. Maybe we'll put that on Facebook, we'll put it on LinkedIn, we'll tag people on LinkedIn, So we'll just find all those different avenues in order to really optimize the mix to make sure that she's getting the engagement and also the reach that her research deserves.
0: Mm, I like that. Yeah, I recently started listening to this wonderful podcast. And one of the things that they talk about, and one thing that I definitely feel like we academia is very gatekeepy about is the advancement of certain, not students, but like different levels. So like there could be like, I see it on Twitter all the time. Like there's there's so many conversations about PhD students and postdocs. And oh my god, this sucks. Oh my god, this is great. Oh my god, I had this great day in the lab and blah, blah, blah. But then no one talks about like master's students. No one talks about undergraduate students in academia. And the way there's just such steep learning curves in all these levels. And I think we need to like kind of destigmatize not staying in academia because I think if someone has a really good handle on social media or has had internships where they are the social media manager of you know a nature center or maybe they've worked with maybe the professors that you have worked with in this project you know like I think we have a valuable skill set and I think we can do a better job of and of teaching. These communication skills by joining people like you who are interested in in bettering scientific literacy to people who maybe don't have access to it or, you know, are just interested and learning more about what's going on in the scientific world. So I think, okay, so I actually think that when you said, we'll maybe have like a six second video to really bring them in or a text post, like that's so smart. I would have never ever thought of that because I'm just, oh, I even do it with this podcast. I'm like, okay, we got a new episode, link, bye. <laughs> I don't even think about it that way. And and that's an error on my part because I'm just not good at that type of communication. Like I can talk to whomever I want, but like when it comes to science, <laughs> I feel like I don't do it in a very effective way. So like, what do you think after engaging with all these sciency type people? What are what are some things that you can say? Yeah, these are definitely skills. A, B, and C are definitely skills that would be valuable in a scientific environment.
1: Yeah, I feel like the skills that are valuable, and especially that like plugs into social media, and where I'm definitely trying to help a lot of the, the nonprofit I work with try to help them to level up is how can we bring down those walled gardens of here are just big text blocks here's just like words that are acronyms or people don't really know on the fly if i'm on twitter and i'm scrolling you have three seconds to get my attention and i'm on to the next post so how in those three seconds can i best maximize the experience for the user and a lot of times what i'll do is kind of what's the headline what's the key takeaway how can i summarize the seven page paper into seven words that's where I think communication can definitely grow. So like a huge skill to have is like, how would you summarize this? If you were in an elevator and you had 60 seconds, how would you explain this to someone? And that's all you get. They're going to get off on their floor and you want to make sure that they're trying to stay on the elevator to hear everything about what you have to say. So those 60 seconds are the most impactful that you can get. What can you say in those 60 seconds that will change someone's mind or get someone to like continue to listen? And I think that's a huge part of social media. And then to to one of your points about like, oh, you think it's just like a podcast. Something I always like to think about in marketing is the question of what is it or what can it be? So it's a podcast, but can it be an animated series? Can it be a YouTube series? What if it was a Tumblr series? Is anyone even on Tumblr anymore? And then that's the creative spark of like, all right, let's explore this option. Like, let's see what where we can take this to. And it's those types of marketing executions that really grow. And I think academia and science have such an amazing building blocks for this. It's just taking that to the next step. So something that's huge, infographics. If I can di- digest everything you're trying to say in one simple photo, done, easy. I've gotten everything I need. I can reuse that. And I can say that back to you with pretty much a full accuracy, or I can say that as a fun fact to a friend at dinner. So I think things like that, it's like, all right, what is it? It's a huge research paper, but what can it be? It can be an infographic. That's literally just one animated GIF or GIF, depending on who you are. Of here's the information. So I think those are incredible skills to have. And it's so easy to up-level this. Just think like, this is who I am as a scientist, but this is who I am as a consumer. So how would you interact with something on Facebook? And think about that user journey. How would you, how do you interact with Instagram? Do you go to the hashtags? Have you even looked at a hashtag? Do you look at what's tagged in it? So questions like that, think about yourself and how you would like to have it presented to you.
0: Oh my gosh. That was like so interesting to me because (laughs) i deleted my instagram a while ago a long time Mm -hmm. ago now
1: and we miss you every day
0: oh my god stop it and (laughs) my snapchat and i get almost all of my the itch for that social media jitters or whatever through twitter and facebook and i didn't realize it's that technical but like as you were saying like okay i have three seconds to sell my my post i think of that at two when I'm just scrolling on Twitter, I'm literally just like, blah, 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 you know, onto the next thing, you <laughs> know, and mm-hmm. I'm then like, what really captures my attention videos about animals, or pictures of people's dogs, or pictures of people on boats doing their research and stuff like that. And sometimes like memes and the good stuff but <laughs> it's so interesting no you can never ignore the memes and i think it's so interesting that you say it like that because it's it's such a breakdown of a behavior that the better part of the world has that no one even thinks about nowadays
1: yeah it's it's such a passive experience to the consumers and it's like it's funny you say that too because so on average we have the attention span of less than a goldfish so you have to get someone's attention in that but you're also fighting the second screen Most of the time when you're just scrolling on your phone or maybe on your laptop, you're also watching Netflix, you have less than three seconds and then also have to make so much impact that someone's going to stop. It's like, what are those key moments that you can provide for them where they would stop spend six seconds spend an entire minute oh my gosh 60 seconds plus like that's when you know you've got somebody there are interested yeah
0: another thing that when you were talking about okay this girl so you're a behavioral analyst this girl who has like really interesting research and blah 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 you know so do you think there's a benefit in providing resources that aren't maybe directly correlated or not correlated but associated with this girl so like let's say she has a really cool paper coming out, or she's doing this really cool project. And then you can link maybe different papers or like a YouTube about like something similar that was going on in a different lab. What, how do you think? Or is that already too much information? Like, is that is that already too much? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Because like, in my head, I'm like, Oh, well, mm-hmm. if people are interested in this, and maybe if you provide these other things, then they can like, gain an appreciation for this behavioral analysis project that she's doing. But now, but then it also does like, oh my God, that's like so much more work because now it's like a thread <laughs> and now they have like 12 tabs open. How do you find that like sweet spot? Like where, where do you think you – be- where people can benefit the most about conveying their information, like when is too much information? Too much information.
1: <laughs> Great question. So I think as humans, we love to have variety. We love to have options, but we get paralyzed at anything more than six options. I it works out in marketing where we'll do content calendars. So with International Professors Project, we're very rotational in the d- types of different academia and uh, researching that we do. So one day will be environmental, the next day will be purely academia, then it will be behavioral science. So what we'll do is we'll program and we'll say, okay, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we'll include six second text posts, we'll mix it up, but we'll only post it at like 11am. And then by 2pm, when we see like the next influx of people, we'll post academia, we'll post something else. So it's you have the variety. But if you went to the page, you'd see like, okay, one post on behavioral science, oh, okay, a video that goes out to environmental science, oh, okay, like academia, oh, okay, then we're backed in behavioral science. So you'll see that kind of like variety roadshow. And then we really have to consider shelf life. So if I post this today, a week from now, there'll be so many other posts that it won't be relevant. So like, if I was doing part one, part two, part three, each one kind of has to stand on its own. Or we can kind of say, like you were saying, where it's like, all right, here's part one, Here's, all, here's like a library of the other things or it's like a thread and each part of the thread has the different one that you can kind of link out to. So it's really like keeping that variety, but also making sure it has a unilateral focus that can stand on its own. So if someone comes back years from now and sees it, okay, it still makes sense, completely out of context. Or if the algorithm is completely against us and you just happen to see this one post, can we make sure that you are understanding enough of what we're trying to get across in just one singular post? to make you interested enough to find the others.
0: That sounds like so much work.
1: (laughs) It's really not. It takes me maybe 15 minutes to program the entire week, and then I'm set, good to go, and I know it's getting posted on every single social
0: media. That reminds me so much of ecology, because in ecology, there's so many moving parts that you have to consider. And that's a big reason why a lot of people don't like ecology, like Rick. (laughs) and there's so many moving parts and you have to consider so many factors in order to truly understand what's happening and even then you don't exactly know what's happening so cool because you have these analytics that solidly tell you okay this amount of people saw this post at this time but not as many people saw the other post at the same time so what is that telling us? that's just crazy to me that like that very specific behavior of people interacting with science on social media is like its own science, essentially.
1: Mm -hmm. It's funny, in the marketing world, we say it's an art and a science. So like, there is definitely a science behind this. Like there are numbers that we can tie to it, we can say like, oh, we're seeing the analytics come in about this, and we can make a hypothesis and test it. But it's also an art, like you never know what's going to take off. Like it's so random at times, you're like, why did this random picture of a dog do so well? Well, everyone loves dogs. Let's post more dogs. And then you just got to find, like, what's that insight that we can test next? And then pour gasoline on it. Get a small spark and make it a giant fire. Pour gasoline on it and just keep doing things that seem like that. And you'll keep growing and keep growing. And a great example of that is the growth of TikTok. So, like, science TikTok is definitely a thing. And it it's these people can just explain concepts very plainly to people. And they're like, oh, that's cool. I get that. Let me share that with a friend. And it just blows up. But you don't really know why it blows up. It's just so random at times. So it's a lot of like, what's the art behind this? Like, what can we talk about more? And like, TikTok is one that's just great. Really put like a magnifying glass on everything because things blow up so quickly on there.
0: Yeah, TikTok kind of freaks me out. I'm not on TikTok. But (laughs) it's so crazy because I remember it used to be the cringey app where people used to post like cringy.
1: The cringy dances. Yeah, the cringy
0: <laughs> dances and like the cringy voiceovers and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden...
1: Oh yeah, still a lot Oh of yeah, and then
0: all of a sudden everyone's doing TikTok dances and, and...
1: I'm afraid for a world of only TikTok dances.
0: I, okay, I stopped caring about popular dances after the floss. I got the <laughs> floss down and I'm good.
1: Honestly, we peaked at floss. Society only earned floss and everything else from that has been added value that we don't need. <laughs>
0: I agree. I have to agree. It's crazy to me because people are just so unpredictable and it's so hard to see what people are going to care about. Okay, so I don't generally engage with people who don't believe mainstream science, but... It it definitely came to my attention and it was definitely something that I have learned about over the years. So particularly right now, there's a lot of people that are saying they're like anti-vax and, and, and you know, anti-COVID vaccinations and stuff like that. And I think there was just a big problem with people not understanding how vaccines work in the first place. To where when the pandemic happened and all these vaccines came out very quickly, people were freaked out by that and they were like, Oh, well, why why couldn't they have done this before? Or oh my god, they planned it, or they came from a lab and stuff like that. So for me, and especially, I have like I don't generally get impatient with anti-vaxxers because I try to put myself in their shoes to where they don't. I don't. I don't think they understand the technicalities and like how vaccines came to be, and 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 I I think it's just misunderstanding or people not or no one taking the time to explain it to them. Like I even saw mm-hmm. on Twitter like a girl who is a scientist, like a grown woman who now studies viruses. I think it wasn't until she was like 22 that she got vaccinated, fully vaccinated because her mom or maybe it wasn't 22, maybe she was like 18 or whatever, but like she was older when she got fully vaccinated, like she she was anti-vax, she didn't want me to get vaccinated and it wasn't until she was fully in research and like virology and epidemiology and stuff like that where she was able to like sit down with her mom and be like okay so why are you so skeptical about this and she was like because no one takes the time to talk to me like the pediatricians are Oh well, she has to have this for school. It's just a shot, like oh, it's just a routine shot. But it's like, but no one told mm-hmm. her mom what's in the shot, what are the effects of the shot, like all these different things. And so for me, I understand that there are people that are very ridiculous and like think it causes autism, which it doesn't. <laughs> but I, I think it's fair for for people to be skeptical and and to really ask questions and. I think that's that's another reason why there's that disconnect between how are you so confident that nothing's going to happen to my child when they get a shot, but you're not explaining why they need to get it or what's in it and stuff. So it's not so much they're anti-vax because they read a funky article, it's they're anti-vax because... No one took the time to explain what this was, what this is, what this tool is.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of crazy because it's it's still, it's like the concept of the first thing you heard is like the last thing you heard. So it's, they heard some wild rumor from someone in their family that vaccines cause autism and they never followed up on the research. They never like dug into it deeper or, or no one really broke it down and explained to them like what are in these vaccines, like what's happening. And I think that just breakdown in communication is what causes a lot of these like great divides that were just based on nothing from the start. And I think there's like, I mean, always tying it back to marketing for myself. Um, <laughs> a lot of ways you can frame this up from a marketing perspective. Like what's the right angle? I need to speak to someone in order for them to do it. How do I talk to someone that they'll care about it most? Like maybe they don't care about other people, but they care about their grandparents. So if this vaccine's not for you or your neighbor. This is for your loved ones. And it's like that simple framing of it is very different than, like, your child needs this for school. It's understanding, like, what's the the angle for them? Like, what's the consumer point of view for this? And what questions will they have? And how do you answer them with just very simple, plain language?
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. This was, like, a really good conversation. I'm so glad that <laughs> oh, same. you were able to tell me all about this kind of stuff. Because I have been very interested in how, like, communication works. And even though I don't, I don't consider myself a science communicator... When science communication became like a buzzword, I guess, in academia and just like in the peripheral area, I was like, Oh, well, it's just like sharing articles, right? If I just like retweet this, that's science communication. And then like as I as as I kind of started engaging with more and more people in the community, I realized like, no, it's not that. It's it's way more intricate and it's there's value to understanding how people think outside of academia and there's value in understanding how to better communicate with people who don't understand the jargon or don't get caught up in these things, but like get caught up in their own sphere of technical language.
1: And I think it's becoming more and more important to kind of not only be aware, but start to like hone in on those skills because the digital person we've become and the digital like storefront for ourselves. Is more prevalent than ever so like everything went digital during covid so now you kind of have to have that digital presence you have to have that way to communicate what you're doing not in a face-to-face environment because you won't get that opportunity with everyone anymore so how can you express your thoughts very clearly very quickly through social media or kind of how can you just get your message out there and how can you create that digital persona how can you create that like front of store for yourself before you can talk more about your research and your article, how can you really create that digital welcoming mat for everyone?
0: I love that. I love that. I love that so much. And I think that's, like, incredibly interesting. And I'm glad that we had this conversation because when I when someone asks you, like, hey, what do you do? It's You, you don't say, like, I sell crackers on Facebook because yeah. that, that's just, like, so... <laughs> That's not even remotely the what exactly you do. Like, that's the end product. People only see that end product. It,
1: it's so funny and hard to describe what I do that I just kind of like sell it really short. I'm like, if you've seen an ad for Crackers on Facebook, it's because of me. And that's a very oversimplification of it. But I feel like it's been forever since you've heard business Hayden talk, Tree. So this is what I this is what I do.
0: This is so oh my God, the last time I remember we were at Duffy's and it was when Pokemon Go was huge and it was Oh my god. You had you were still, I think, at Horizon and you did that's what it was called, right? Horizon? Yeah, mm-hmm. and they you did the Veri- the Verizon ad for Pokémon. I think that was the last time I had business Hayden.
1: Yeah, it was the it was Sprint, Sprint the phone Sprint, company. Sprint. I wasn't cool enough to be on Verizon. <laughs>
0: but
1: yeah, I've I've had my run around so many brands since the, since then. I do a lot of um food products now, so like CPG, consumer packaged goods. Essentially 40% of your pantry right now is most likely a product I do advertising for. And I had a quick stint in the B two B space with uh, SAP for B two B marketing, but so like a lot of what they do is like cloud based products was like my main thing. So expenses, digital transformation, Internet of Things, things like that. So I got a lot of lot of education there. But I'm back to my cookies and crackers.
0: Do you get any for free?
1: Sadly, no. Back in the office, we did like all the time, and I had I tell you, I had every flavor of Oreo. They come up. They need more things to do with what they do because they're just coming up with any old flavor these days. It is wild.
0: Yeah, I um, was offended. My friend told me he tried the Swedish fish flavored Oreo, and he was like, "I'm sad." Yeah.
1: Oh my god, they did a Chips Ahoy Sour Patch Kids. We used to use that as like a punishment. Like if you did something wrong, you had to go eat one of the Sour Patch Kids and chocolate chip cookies as like a your punishment because <laughs> it was so bad.
0: I mean, they have a Sour Patch cereal now. <clears throat>
1: Oh no!
0: Yeah, no, I swear. Go to the go to the Publix by your house, and and you'll see it.
1: I'm unwell. That shouldn't be allowed. I'm going to speak to someone at work on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> we need to pull that immediately. I
0: know, no, yeah. Oreo, Oreo's being weird. Oreo's been on that weird stuff. They've been they've been eating too many cookies.
1: Yeah, it's funny because like. Oreo weird on the products great on the marketing Ritz who was like my biggest client amazing on the products they have it all like everything under the sun Ritz does and then their marketing is like so lame it's 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 like feel good but it's like okay you just made like a crumbled version of your cracker for pies I don't need to like feel emotion about that I just need to buy it (laughs) like
0: (laughs) right yeah yeah Ritz has a bunch of stuff now that I think about it yeah
1: I mean, Loki slept on cheese crispers. Check them out. That was the product I launched last year. Oh, my God. Year. Cheese crispers, so good. good. So good. Oh, my gosh. You've had them?
0: Yeah. The cheddar ones? Oh, my gosh. All right.
1: Which flavor? Cheddar is so good. so good. Better than the four cheese and herb.
0: Yeah. I have to be careful about my snacking, though. Like, our snacking staples in the house are, like, pretzels and hummus and love. chips and salsa. Ooh. And I also dabble. I love chips and salsa. Chips and salsa is so good. And then I also, because I'm trying to make those gains and get swole I eat a lot of peanut butter and apples
1: Ooh, that's good that's nice and healthy
0: it is very healthy I don't know I keep telling myself like this is good because <laughs> I'm like dipping <laughs> my for apple in the peanut butter <laughs> well do you know what that's do so- you know what cookie is actually pretty good and I feel like I slept on for most of my life what big newtons
1: whoa so that is one of my products but they do no marketing what <laughs> So like if Fig Newton ever gets money to do marketing, I would get to run it for them. They don't spend anything on advertising.
0: So rude. are
1: Great. So rude. Also, Laura Dunes, low key slept on. I love those too. There's another one. They don't spend any advertising. It's just like a like vanilla wafery kind of cookie.
0: Yeah, I've definitely seen those. Do you know which which are my favorite? I shouldn't say snacks because they're def- they're cookies, man. Like I don't know. They're not like <laughs> snacks. They're cookies the belvita well all the belvita products oh my god to dive for but they have like 24 grams of sugar per serving and i'm like okay that's a lot um
1: (laughs) that's so funny but you get four hours four hours of energy per every pack i do belvita too
0: (laughs) yeah right i know that but like i don't know it seems suspicious to me but my favorite one of their line is the chocolate filled sandwich cookies
1: yeah oh my god oh dangerous oh my god You know what I used to do in college? I would get the cinnamon apple Vita and I would fill it with peanut butter and make like a massive nutter butter. Incredible. That was probably like 10 million calories. Like (laughs) horrible for you. So good. (laughs) Did not need that much protein packed into something that's already full of sugar.
0: Oh my God. Well, Hayden, next time I'm home and you're, (laughs) and you're home, (laughs) we're going to have to go through Publix and just walk through the aisles. And then you're going to have to tell me, like, I do that one. I do that one. I do that one. I do that one. And the public <laughs> bar our houses are so small. It's, like, so small. So, like, it's not like a, we're yeah,
1: super Yeah. It's silly. funny. The one on, like, 18th Street near Sandalfoot, literally all of the products I work on are in, like, a singular row. Look at all these chickens. I do all their advertising.
0: <laughs> Look at all these chickens. <laughs> I
1: mean, yeah. My children, they are there. They are oh. waiting to be perched all next to each other. But, like, the one right near us, it, like, kind of splits out them into different spots, which is whatever.
0: I noticed that there's a couple, like, the small Publixes, they don't have the two-for-one bins at the front.
1: Yeah, that should... That should be illegal. That's against human rights. Like, they shouldn't <laughs> be able to do that. The BOGO is what makes it good.
0: And ex- mm-hmm. and they do it in the aisles. If if they don't have the, the two-for-one bins, they'll have them in the aisles.
1: Oh, but then it's harder to find. And, like, honestly, like, shopper marketing theory is, like, you'll buy more on impulse if you just see them in the bins versus, like, in the aisle. You're like, oh, I'm in the aisle here for a reason. Yeah. But if you're just walking in the door, you're like, oh, Like, your mind state is a lot more, like, available to be persuaded to buy something
0: oh yeah 100 and like especially since tay and i are healthy <laughs> we shop the outside of the grocery store and only go in the aisles for like coffee or mayonnaise or something like that and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so that's how you gotta do it i know i'll go in and i'm i remember i had i stood in front of the protein bars like the nut the you know the granola protein bars there's like that whole
1: mm-hmm. um, i love granola
0: subsection i don't mean to that subsection of that shelf and like i literally stared at all these boxes because there's so many combinations of flavors yet somehow nature valley nature valley if you can hear me i swear <laughs> god they have somehow not been able to create a protein granola bar that doesn't have peanuts or peanut butter People have allergies. Okay. I would love, I would buy all of your protein (laughs) granola bars, Nature Valley, but I can't because they all have peanuts and I'm allergic. Okay. I'm your number one fan. I love you, Nature Valley, but like get it together. Okay.
1: Oh, Nature Valley, where are you at? Tagging you right now. Come on. (laughs) Nature Valley is so good too. And like, they have such a great brand purpose too. Like they donate to the national parks to keep, restored and like trash free but like you literally can't buy them like so what do you buy like kind bars
0: no man i buy okay so you know the the people that make the no cause kind of expensive do you know the i know they pricey they pricey you know the the fiber one bars mm-hmm. i get the protein one bars
1: Ooh, the chocolate um <laughs> chocolate peanut butter <laughs> one is my favorite <laughs> Defeats the purpose.
0: <laughs> no, I get the chocolate fudge one.
1: Oh, that one's good. It's so good. Um, yeah, those ones are good, actually. I like those ones.
0: <laughs> I like those because they don't... <laughs> Your favorite one is peanut
1: butter. I know, I, was, I walked right into that.
0: <laughs> no, I like them because they don't... Because a lot of other protein bars have like a those chalky pellet Kind of things, and I Mm -hmm. don't like Mm -hmm. them. So, like, I'd rather just take a fistful of protein powder and just shove it in my mouth. Like,
1: (laughs) more efficient, get it right to the point, put it in the bloodstream. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh, I just want to start vaping my protein powder. Like, do I ask too much? (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, last product recommendation I'll make. So, another one I work on is Good Thins. Honestly, like, they're pretty good when it comes to like a hand to mouth munching. So, it's like if you're just trying to like pound something while like watching TV. It's thirty-eight little crackers for one serving, and it's like one hundred and twenty calories. So, oh my god, good things! They've got some interesting flavors. They just went through a whole like product redevelopment. So, if those are on Bogo, check them out.
0: Okay, I'll definitely, I'll definitely tra- check them out next next time. And I go to Publix. Okay, Hayden, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be on the podcast. I'm long time listener, first time uh, calling. calling in. <laughs> uh <laughs> follow me on social media uh follow international professors project and check out my acapella group
0: yeah no a hundred percent so where can the people find you they can find you at hayden saul on twitter yeah how can they find the international professors project
1: on twitter linkedin and facebook the twitter handle is international profs p-r-o-f-s And then on LinkedIn and on Facebook, International Professors Project. Huge groups. Feel free to join. Um, Everyone is welcome. And definitely reach out to me, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Oh,
0: my God. Isn't he the sweetest? (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so, so much, Hayden. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to my Tree's Friendship Corner. Jazz and I should be back on track next weekend, maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe we won't because it's Easter. So it depends. But, anyways, thank you for all our listeners. And I hope you enjoyed this mini series. And I hope you enjoyed Hayden, who is my FFFF, FFF. Yeah, with that, we'll see everybody later. Are you ready? So thanks, everyone. One, two, we have to do the bye. Okay. So, one, two, three. Bye. Bye. You did it too late.